One of the things I do not like to do is judge myself or, or gauge where I'm at in life. I do not like when on paper there's that uh, rate yourself 1 through 10. Where are you? And you have to circle one of them. I don't like it. And a lot of people are looking at their worship folder and you're thinking, well, there's, some, there's one right on our worship folder. Yeah, we're going to get to that in a second. But I don't like to, to gauge where I'm at. I don't like to reflect on where I'm at in life. Why? Because that makes me look into the mirror and take an honest look and face the facts. And I don't like to do that. But what if I never do it? What if I don't sit back and reflect on where I'm at on a 1 through 10 in retirement savings? What if I don't sit back and and reflect on where my eating habits are and my exercise, uh, how much I exercise? What if I don't reflect on that? What if I don't reflect on, on how well our worship service is going? What if I don't reflect on where my marriage is? What about you? What if you don't sit and reflect on where you're at in life? What if you don't reflect on your marriages, on your parenting, on your retirement? All of these have the same answer, don't they? If we don't reflect on these things, if we don't gauge where we're at and take a hard look in the mirror, we're never going to grow. It's just going to be status quo. So where are you at in life? And here's a question I have for you this morning as you're looking at your worship folder. Where are you at in your faith? How big is your faith? And before you circle an answer, let's look at two opposite ends of the spectrum. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection are recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In the Gospel, in the book of Mark, Mark chapter 6, Jesus is in his hometown of Nazareth, where he was raised. He was raised there, and he was raised as a carpenter until the age of 30 when he began his ministry. And he went out, and he came back, and as he comes back to Nazareth, he goes to church, the synagogue, on Saturday, and he's preaching and teaching. And after he gets done preaching and teaching, all of the people say, Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this the guy that we watched grow up? Where did he get this authority? Where did he get these abilities to do these miracles? And they were offended at him. The Bible says they took offense at him. And here's what we're told Jesus said. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Isn't it interesting that because they didn't have faith, God, Jesus, who is almighty, all-powerful, could not do miracles there. It's only through faith that God extends those miracles, isn't it? Interesting. Let's take a look at the other end of the spectrum. Let's take a look at a 10. We flip one book over to Luke chapter 7. In Luke chapter 7, a Roman centurion, a Roman soldier in charge of a hundred soldiers, contacts Jesus. He sends a messenger to Jesus and he says, Jesus, my servant is dying. Can you heal him? Will you be willing to come and heal him? And Jesus says, yes, I'm willing. 
And as Jesus is on his way, the centurion sends another messenger to him. And the messenger says, this is what the Roman centurion wants you to know. You don't need to come to me. You don't need to come into my house. In fact, I'm not worthy for you to enter my house. But I recognize your authority. I recognize you are God and you can do anything. And so simply speak and my servant will be healed. And here's what we're told. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. This man had a big faith in a big God. And he knew that God was capable of anything. And Jesus simply spoke the word, and the man's servant was healed. So now go to your worship folder. How big is your faith? Where would you put it on a scale of 1 to 10? Are we like the people of Nazareth? Or are we like the Roman centurion? I think all of us want to circle 10, don't we? We all want to say, oh man, we have great faith. We know God has all power. We know He can do anything. I want to put a 10. But how is that reflected in our prayer life? Do we pray having such a strong faith, knowing that God can do anything? Or not? How is it reflected in our life? Do we live our life having faith that God is going to take care of us? Having faith that God is going to provide for us? Having faith that God is going to work through us? How is it reflected in us carrying out the mission of the church? And not just the the mission of Peace Lutheran Church, but the mission of the Christian church to go and make disciples of all nations. How is it reflected in how we carry that out? God and we. God could make disciples of all nations however He wants. He's all-powerful, right? He's capable of anything. And yet He invites us to join Him. He invites us to go out in this mission to make disciples of all nations And watch as unbelievers become believers. He gives us that opportunity. He gives us that joyful work. He gives us the joy of seeing that. And that's why Peace Lutheran Church exists, right? We didn't start this church because it was a more convenient church for people to go to. No. We started it because more and more people are moving to the area. I don't know if you know this, but there are seven different communities starting from just south of us to five miles west of, or east of us. Seven new communities. That means more and more people are coming to this area. More and more people who don't know Jesus. There are 7.1 billion people in the world. And only 2.2 billion know Jesus. Jesus. Know the forgiveness that He offers. That means there are 5 billion people who don't. And they're not just overseas. They're here in America. They're here even in Texas. They're here in Austin. They're here in Cedar Park, Leander, Georgetown, Liberty Hill. They're in your communities. They're your next door neighbors. And they don't know 
Jesus. And God says, we are going to go out and tell them about them. To make disciples. And man, is that a daunting task, isn't it? Man, God, you're telling me you're going to work through me to go out and make disciples? To make believers for you? I'm just like you. I have family, I have friends who don't want anything to do with Jesus, who don't want anything to do with church. Maybe you're like me and you've invited that friend, you've invited people from the community to church and they say, hey, we'll be there on Sunday. Sunday morning comes and they're not here. Maybe you've noticed that the trend in America, Christianity is going farther down. More doors are being closed to churches and being opened. Today in America, if you're a Christian, you're known as someone who's ignorant, someone who's not as intelligent. And that word, bigot, gets thrown around. How are we supposed to make disciples when the world doesn't want Christianity? Well, do we have a big God? Or do we have a little God? It's easy to become cynical, isn't it? It's easy to to think to ourselves, why bother? No one's going to listen. No one's going to come. No one's going to want Jesus. Why waste my time? It's easy to think that, isn't it? And yet we have faith in a big God who's capable of big things. He's capable of raising dead to life. He's capable of creating the world because that's what He did. And so we have a big faith in a big God who's going to do big things through us for God's kingdom. And so this morning, let's take a look at three aspects of faith-filled facts. Alright, number one. When you have faith, it's hard to play it safe. What's the safe play in life? What's the safe play? The safe play is when we are surrounded by non-Christians. The safe play is to not live our faith. The safe play is to not bring up faith, not bring up Jesus. That's the safe play, isn't it? Because then we don't get made fun of. The safe play would be to not pursue ministries when we don't necessarily have the funds yet. The safe play is to first get money before we do something, like a school. The safe play is when someone's making fun of Christianity, when someone's degrading Christianity, is to keep our mouth shut, isn't it? The safe play is when we throw events here like Trunk or Treat, and everyone from the community is coming to us. The safe play is to not mention Jesus. The safe play is when we have an event and we have a booth, to stay behind the booth and wait for people to come to us and not go out and find the people. That's the safe play. And yet when we have faith, when we have faith in a big God who's done big things for us, we can't play it safe. And here's why. Paul, in his second letter to the Corinthians says, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And He died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him 
who died for them and was raised again. We are convinced that Christ died for all and we are compelled by His love for all people. Everyone in this world has fallen short of God's expectations, right? God has said, here's my Ten Commandments, here's how I want you to live, and each and every one of us have fallen and failed to live up to those expectations. And what are those wages? What have we earned by falling short? We've earned death, eternal death in hell. And yet what did Christ do? He died for all. He died for you. His love for you was so much that He came to this earth and lived perfectly that you may have a perfect life to your name. He died on the cross for all of your sins and that's where your sins have been nailed and no longer are attached to you. He died and was raised back to life that we may live. And now we do. We have faith in Jesus and we no longer live for our sinful pleasures. We no longer live for ourselves, but we live for Him who died for us. And Christ's love, what He did for us, is not just for you and me. He's done it for the world. He's done it for America. He's done it for Texas. He's done it for the people in Austin. He's done it for your next door neighbor, your family and friends who don't know Jesus. When we have faith in God, when we have faith in what Jesus has done for us, it compels us to tell people. It compels us to tell people who are on the path to hell about this free life that has been given to them. It's the same free life that's been given to us. When we have faith, it's hard to play it safe. We want to tell others. But here's a second faith-filled fact. When you have a guarantee, you don't have faith. We all like guarantees, don't we? We like a surefire bet. We don't like it when there's uh, uncertainty involved. And that's because inside of all of us, there's a little bit of a control freak, isn't there? We like control over our lives. We like control over the outcome of the things we uh, start. And yet, here's what Hebrews 11 says. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Southwest Airlines completely revolutionized uh, the, the air industry, the flight industry. When they said, we are getting rid of first class, we're going to let people pick their seats, we're going to let bags fly free, and oh yeah, our staff, they're going to be cheerful and relaxed and more laid back. They took away in-flight meals, and when they did that, all of the, the flight industry said, you're going to fail. You're going to go bankrupt. This is, this is not right. And even the people at Southwest admit that they weren't sure it was going to work. They were going on faith. They had no guarantee that this form of business was going to work, and yet they did it anyways because they had faith that it would. There was no guarantee, and yet they believed it would. 
Faith is sure of what we hope for, what we eagerly expect. Now, don't get me wrong. You and I, we have a guarantee. We have a guarantee, and that guarantee is we are going to heaven. Our guarantee is that Jesus died for us. He rose and he, brought, and he was brought back to life that you and I might live forever. That's our guarantee. There are no guarantees during this life, but we have an eternal guarantee. And with that guarantee in hand, it makes it easier for us to step out in faith, isn't it? You see, it takes a lot of faith to put money in the offering plate when we don't have many thousands of dollars in the bank account. It takes faith when our kids are addicted to drugs. God, what's going on? It takes a big faith in a big God, doesn't it? It takes faith when we are in a situation where there are a bunch of non-Christians. It takes a big faith to step out and to know that God is going to work when we simply speak. And yet we have that guarantee. We have that guarantee that we have a big God who is capable of doing big things through us when we speak. And we have a big God who is even able to heal our hurt feelings when we're rejected. We might not have a guarantee in life that something's going to work. We might not have a guarantee in life that an aspect of ministry is going to work. And yet we have a guarantee that heaven is ours. And so it makes it easier for us to step out in faith even when that guarantee isn't there. And finally, our final faith-filled fact. To step toward your destiny, you have to step away from your security. Hebrews 11.8 says, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. What's the amazing part about this? Abraham was 75 years old when God called him to go away from his security. Back then, families didn't move. Year 2000 BC, families grew up. They stayed right where they were. He had lived with his parents. He had lived with his brothers and sisters, his aunt and uncles. Everyone from the same town, everyone from next door neighbors. And now at the age of 75, God says, Abraham, go. Abraham says, where? God says, I'll tell you when to stop walking. Boy, oh boy, talk about a big faith to step away from your security. My word. That takes a big faith. What crazy thing can we step away from? What is our securities in life that we could step away from and make a big impact on God's kingdom? Is it taking 15 minutes of TV time out a day so that we can spend it in His Word? Is it volunteering three hours a week in the community where we get to meet people? And in faith, know that God's going to lead people into our lives that don't know Jesus. And that when we do talk to that person, God's going to give us the words to say. Or, is it park in the driveway and don't run inside right away, look for a neighbor to talk to. 
Have you noticed that in, in uh, our society with the, the addition of the, the attached garages, people can just not talk to their neighbors at all? People drive into their driveway, hit the garage door opener, wait for the door to open, go in, and then close the garage door before anyone could see them and talk to them. We all do that. It's a term called cocooning. But is, is that a first step in getting away from our security? Is it rearranging our budget so that we can give a little extra to the work of spreading God's kingdom? And in faith, trusting God's going to provide. What about here at Peace? What can we as a church do to impact God's kingdom in faith? Is it bringing a Christian school to the area, even though we see the dollar sign and we're like, whoa, how's that going to happen? Is it that all the whole church, all of us, on one Saturday go out knocking on doors saying, hey, do you have a church home? Do you want to know about Jesus? Stepping away from our security and in faith knowing God is going to take care of us. What about your relationships? Is it stepping away from our security in in a friendship and say, I'm going to talk to them about Jesus even though it might ruin our relationship. Even though it might put a hiccup, a speed bump in our relationship. What crazy thing is God calling us to do to make a big impact on His kingdom? Here's the thing. The only thing stopping us is security, isn't it? It's security because we like how things are right now. And it, make, it takes a lot of faith to step away from those securities. And yet, just like our guarantee, what's our security? It's knowing that no matter what happens in this life, heaven is ours. Jesus died for me. Jesus washed my sins away. Jesus can heal a broken relationship because He healed my broken relationship with God. Jesus can work through me if I just speak. Though I might be feeling insecure as I step out of my security and talk to the next door neighbor, God will give me the words. God will stretch me to use me for His kingdom to spread His message. We have a big faith in a big God who is capable of big things. And He promises that as we go out to spread the message of Jesus, we aren't going out alone. He promises to go with us. God and we. We have a big God capable of big things. Amen. Please stand. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank You that You did big things for us, that You did the big thing of suffering and dying on the cross, taking away our sins. We ask that as we go out, You go with us. Lead us to people who need You and who need to hear of the peace that you offer. Amen.